Welcome to the Shine Within Podcast. I'm your host, Gina Kunarian, and I am so grateful that you are here. I'm a wife, mother of three boys, certified massage therapist, and an alcohol-free sobriety coach who helps driven women break through their alcohol dependency without the traditional 12-step program. Each week, I will bring you inspiring guests with focus on mindset, health, and spirituality, providing you the tips and tools to help you create unshakable confidence, clarity, and energy so you can unleash your creative potential and live the life of your dreams alcohol-free. So tune in for some fun, and if you are ready to shine, welcome. Hello, lovely listeners. If you're finding value in what you're hearing today, make sure to head over to the show notes. Not only will you find more details on today's topic, but you'll also get an exclusive invitation to join my free Facebook group, Awakened Souls. This community is perfect for women who are either super curious or currently journeying through recovery. Being part of Awakened Souls offers a supportive environment where you can connect with like-minded women, all working towards an alcohol-free lifestyle. Plus... There are special free gifts waiting inside the show notes, (laughs) curated specifically to empower and assist you on your journey. And if you're loving the content, I'd be so grateful if you take a moment to rate this podcast. Your feedback helps me continue bringing you the conversations and insights you love. Let's keep the momentum going. And remember, you are not alone on this journey. I am here to help you every step of the way. Today we have a special treat for our listeners. Joining us is Samantha McKay, an expert in the Enneagram and the nexus between creative expression and healing. As we unravel the intricacies of childhood creativity, the culture perspectives on artistic expression, and the transformative power of somatic connection, you'll be invited to reflect, resonate, and perhaps rediscover a part of yourself. So whether you're on your daily commute, taking a quiet moment at home, or seeking some inspiration, Tune in and let's embark on this enlightening journey together. Without further ado, let's dive in. Welcome back to the Shine Within podcast. Meet Samantha McKay, a spirited Enneagram coach and personal development aficionado from Australia, dedicated to steering others towards healing and self-expression without reservations. Drawing inspiration from her personal triumphs over chronic illness, pain, and emotional hurdles, Samantha delves deep into the profound question, how can we genuinely heal amidst internal and external adverse, can't even say that word today, (laughs) adversities. (laughs) Serving a global clientele, Samantha's latest venture, Creativity and the Enneagram, sheds light on the unique creative nuances of every Enneagram type. More than just a guide, Samantha's personal journey of reconnecting and nurturing her creative essence exemplifies the transformative power of self-awareness and resilience. Thank you so much for being on my show today, and I apologize for my stumbling of words. I I wear glasses as well, but sometimes they have a big reflection on them, so I'm like... But, you know, we we wing it. So I'm so happy that you're here, Samantha. Thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, it's lovely to meet you. Thanks for having me, Gina. I can't wait. I know. I was like already having a blast here. Um, And we were just chit-chatting just for a couple of uh, minutes. So let me go ahead and just start off by having you just share about you, about the moment as a five-year-old who felt discouraged from painting now to becoming an Enneagram mentor and a creative recovery coach. I've always loved painting and 
I, you know, I first started when I was little and when I was, I distinctly remember sitting in the garage at home and painting this portrait and it didn't look like anything. It looked like a bunch of smudges and piles. And, you know, I was berating myself for the skin, not being the right color and the lines not being fine enough. And you'd look at it now with that objective sense and go, well, yes, that's what a five-year-old would paint because as a five-year-old, you don't have the skill or the practice or the learning or those things. But as a five-year-old, you look at it and go, this isn't good enough. You're not good enough. And we take on those messages really on. And even though at the time it was me saying that to myself, I didn't make that up on my own. That message has come from somewhere. Um, and every time throughout my teenage years that I you know, tried to be creative, there'd be something that would either, you know, attack me or, or shut me down for it. And so when I became a lawyer, it felt like that was all I could do. And even though some people would see the law as a very creative profession, I, I looked at it and went, I can't do this for the rest of my life. This is not exciting. This is boring. This isn't, this does not have enough creativity for me. And so I left and went on this journey of, you know, changing careers a few times and trying to figure out what it all looked like. But along the way, I did um, a number of values exercises, but I did Brené Brown's exercise from Dare to Lead, where she wants you to find just one value, just one, which is incredibly challenging. And most exercises ask you to find five or six. But for me, the one that stood out was creativity. And that made me realize that I needed to have it. And I tried to work part-time and have creativity in the weekends and that didn't work. And I eventually realized I had to have creativity in everything I do. And that just kept guiding my decisions and what that looked like. And then a year ago, I had to pack up all of my stuff and it's all in storage. And that's where all my art supplies went. And I've been staying you know, in the middle of nowhere for about a year, um, living out of a suitcase. So no art supplies because they take up space. And just a few weeks ago, I was like, I'm sick of not having a paintbrush in my hand. There is something about it that when I have this paintbrush, I just feel like myself. So I picked up a few travel supplies and I've been painting again. And I think this time after having worked with a somatic therapist about creativity um, over July, August, there was something that this reclaiming this part of myself that feels like coming home, that feels like a sense of completeness, like I was always missing something. But having made peace with my creative self, my creative spirit, this, this thing inside me that has driven me throughout my life. Um, been an essential part of me that I've never been able to own fully until now or until very recently has been just a huge like relief but this groundedness it's it, when I say it's like coming home it's like a completeness because we're all whole even though we're all healing but there was something about oh, I really feel that wholeness now because creativity is such an essential part of, of who I am and also part of everyone because I've always had this belief that everyone's creative and that if only we could put more of our creativity out into the world, the world would be such a better place and everyone would be happier and more content and problems would be solved. And uh, yes, I'm a seven. So there's a slight little tinge of positivity that goes across all of that. And we'll talk more about the Enneagram later, but there's just this sense that we need more creative expression in the world and how important that is for everyone, especially on a healing journey as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that. And it's true. And everybody's different. So everyone will express their creativity differently. And that's a beautiful thing. And I, for me, I, well, I was not good at painting, but what surprised me one day is that I went ahead, I think I was maybe 17 years old and they were doing a painting class, not by numbers or anything, but I was just following the, 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 the instructor's direction and we're doing a beautiful waterfall. Mind you, I was just doing stick figures, <laughs> never really had uh, much of interest in drawing or painting. But this one, I was like, hey, let me just try this. Oh, my goodness. My my uncle, actually, on my father's side, my father passed away when I was a baby. So he's he's my uncle. He's the, the youngest of the family. I gave him it. And he was like, this is beautiful. Where did you get this? And I said, I, I painted it. <laughs> he was blown away. So just by getting out of my comfort zone, like I, I'm terrified of like still arts and crafts stuff. <laughs> I'm good at cooking and cleaning and things here and there and maybe computers now. Um, but just knowing that getting out of that anxiety of, oh, I can't do it. And just, just doing it and putting it into action made a big difference. But unfortunately, I haven't painted anything since then. But I've learned my creativity side is a lot of different things. And I was sharing with this with you before that when I was drinking heavily, I didn't know who I was, obviously, because I was drinking heavily. I was, I don't know, I was lost. And it wasn't until I became sober minded and started like learning more things and got a mentor, mindset mentor. And then I went ahead and started realizing some gifts that I had. And I think we put, we tend to put ourselves like, we're conditioned, right? I think that we're conditioned to where we're not supposed to be greater than what everybody else is, you know, like the norm. Uh, but I think people are now realizing their gifts and their potential and are emulating them beautifully now. Mm. So yeah, um, and talking about the Enneagram, I had just recently learned that. And for our listeners who are unfamiliar with the Enneagram, can you just briefly explain what it is and how it relates to healing and self-awareness? Oh, I absolutely will. But first, I'd just like to call back to what you just said about cooking and cleaning Yeah, in that sense that they're not creative, but they are. They are creative acts because you're creating change in some way every time you do things. And so all of us are creative regardless of whether there's an artistic element to it or not. And that's one thing I'm really exploring with my creativity in the Enneagram series, which we can come back to, but we're creative simply by having this conversation. That is true. Yeah. I didn't think about it that way. You're right. <laughs> Neither did I. One of my, one of the people I spoke to pointed that out to me. I was like, oh, you're so right. You know, and it's sometimes it's just acknowledging that we're creative in every moment, in everything we say without necessarily appreciating it. Right. So the Enneagram is a psycho-spiritual tool for development. What does that mean? So it means that as adults, we have the work of maturing, becoming actual adults. So as children, we develop an ego, we develop a personality, which is essential for surviving um, our childhood challenges, the, the overwhelming feelings and situations that we don't have the resources to process. And all of us experience that in some way, because that's just a part of childhood and we have to develop an ego. That is essential. Our work as adults and adulthood is to go back and 
release all of that, to go back and process those, those wounds and things we couldn't as children, because we now have the resources. And when we do that, we stop being reactive. We stop, you know, needing our addictive coping mechanisms as much. We stop needing to work as much. We create more space for expansion and to making different choices and not just following the same habitual patterns. And so the Enneagram shows us the patterns we're most likely to fall into um, by describing one of nine types, although technically there's 27 types, um, and then showing you how you start to loosen the hold they have on you with specific practices and approaches and different things you can do. And so it's quite complex and multi-layered, but it really is a way to help us grow up as adults. It's, you know, it's on the basis that as adults, we're not actually grown-ups yet. We're just little kids running out, running around in big bodies. Right. Um, but it shows us the pathway of what it does mean to heal um, and grow uh, out of the things that continue to dictate our life, which is what, how they're designed. You know, we're designed with this inner protection system, but as adults, um, ideally we do the work to release the hold that has on us. Yes. And you mentioned the power of giving ourselves permission to heal. Now, how can someone take their, for, their first step, especially if they've been conditioned to stifle their own creative spirit? Mm. The first step is is waking up, is acknowledging there is a problem, there is something missing, because until we we acknowledge that, we, we can't take any action. So for someone that might mean, you know, taking an Enneagram test or reading an Enneagram book and just becoming more aware of some of their discomfort, you know, their uncomfortable patterns. And generally we find our Enneagram type the worst one because it's so uncomfortable to be reflected back these unhealthy ways of being. Um, and so the Enneagram can help us start to see and become more aware of our own behaviors. When it comes to creativity, I think it's also the looking at your own understanding of creativity and your own beliefs around it. Because if I believe that the only way to be creative is through painting, but I'm not any good at painting, well, that stifles me. It means I can't do any drawing. It means I can't um, see any other forms of creative expression and it means anything I do paint I'm going to be very critical of and so one of the practices I've been doing lately is actively seeking out anything all the positive elements of a painting I've made because my habit is to criticize everything which actually doesn't help me become a better painter at times you know you actually need a positive supportive voice um, to help you want to keep painting uh, which sometimes is a misnomer, but it's, yeah, even that small practice has helped to break that habit and help me do more painting. Yeah. So I noticed that that voice in the back of your head, oh, that doesn't look good or, oh, you should do better than that. How do we rid that voice and how can we start appreciating the work that we're doing instead of like self-criticizing <laughs> all the time? So hard, isn't it? So tricky. And yeah. the first thing really is to become aware of the voice and that the voice is not you that you and the voice are not the same identity, that they are, there are separate pieces. And so you can think of the, you, some people give the voice its own persona um, as a way to create some space with it. Um, some people just see it as, you know, like that's the inner critic or, um, or that you can see it's part of your personality sort of lying to you in a way. And then when it comes to releasing it, once you've sort of observed it and really understand what's motivating it, 
is to try and do the opposite. So in my case, it's to bring positivity in. Um, so as opposed to looking at my painting and going, oh, those trees look completely disheveled, um, I can go, hmm, you really enjoyed the way you played with the brushstrokes there. I really like the way you've used colour. Um, and I see there's a uniformity, you know, I can tell they're trees. That's great, you know, and really looking for what's positive as opposed to just criticizing the negative, but it's really hard because I'll pick up a painting and the habit is so strong that I'll instantly start looking at the negatives and criticizing it, that it takes work to go, right, what's the positive about this? Right. So always kind of like look at the good in it, you know, what, what, what it's being created here is that you're actually creating it. That should be good enough. <laughs> That's right. I made it. I enjoyed making it. I got to play with paint and colors. Like that should absolutely be enough, but we're conditioned that it isn't. And it's how do you break that conditioning? Right. So I have boys, all boys, three of them, and two of them are little eight. One's going to be eight this weekend. And then the other one is nine. No, one is like the nine-year-old is like a massive artist. Like he is just like, wow. <laughs> it's actually my stepson and like really good skills. And then my my son, uh, then he draws, but it's so beautiful and he's so passionate about it. And then what's nice is see them collaborate. And I have the older one teaching the younger one how to draw Godzilla, because that's the, the, my little one's favorite <laughs> character is Godzilla. And um, so, the, and I just love seeing them work together. Now, why do you think the majority of us lock up our creativity during childhood? Mm, such a sensitive part of ourselves. Yeah. And true creativity is, I think, the most authentic expression of our identity that we can possibly have which means it's extremely sensitive to how the world responds to it. And so I think it's really, I mean, I think as children, we're prone to um, internalizing all sorts of, you know, traumas and woundings and challenges, but I feel like the creativity part is particularly sensitive, but I might be saying that as, as a seven. Um, but I think it's so, it's such a core part of us. So I recently read this book, The, the Myth of Normal by Gabor Mate. And he talked about us needing two things as kids, attachment and authenticity. And, you know, attachment is to be attached to our caregivers and to know we're going to be taken care of. And authenticity is to express our true selves. But as kids, we have to choose attachment over authenticity every time for our own survival. And so our authenticity gets squashed. And so as adults, part of our work is to try and reclaim and refresh and reconnect to and bring back to light that authenticity because it just didn't necessarily have space. It, we didn't get to choose it as kids for whatever reason. And there are multiples of reasons. Yes. The whole conditioning, like a lot of, a lot of us, a lot of parents I hear, um, luckily my mom wasn't like this, but they would say, you know, stop crying or suck it up or, you know, um, there's no reason to be mad, but I think it's very important as children for us to, well, for us, I see I'm with my child, my child. So um, it's important for children to actually go through that emotion and even adults too, of course, don't get me wrong. Trust me. I, now I make sure I, when I cry, I cry before I used to hold everything in or used to drink to, mm. to, re, you know, and instead of me actually letting out that emotion, I would hide that emotion and, and drink because, and then numb myself because I don't want to feel that emotion. 
but with children, I feel like they should just, if you're, if you're angry, okay, let's find a different way to express that anger. You don't have to throw a tantrum, but let's maybe do some, <laughs> take a walk together outside, do some breath, breathing exercises. My kids and I, we actually are, we were doing breathing exercises a lot during the summertime. Not so much now anymore, but I mean, I still do, but they, I need to get them back into it. But I think it really helps them. Mm. It really helps them just kind of center themselves. And then one of them said, oh, you know what? I'm ready to take on, you know, fourth grade now. I feel so much better. Like, I'm like, oh, wow, this is good. So these are good habits to have. Oh, I've been trying to teach uh, my nephew who's two, which is probably a little bit young, how to stomp and roar like a lion when frustrated just to let the anger out, you know, Um, and stomping is a great way to do that Um, because we, yeah, we need to feel those emotions, but we need to be taught ways to process them, you know, healthily. And most of us don't know how to do that ourselves. So it's very hard to teach our children how to do it. And in a way that resonates for them. You know, I don't know my nephew's Enneagram type, so I don't know how, you know, does he need more logical based instructions? Does he need more emotional type instructions? Does he need more sensory instructions? You know, how, how, what is he going to respond to best? And it might just simply have to wait for he's a bit older, but it's, it's interesting to try and think, okay, how can we support him with his emotional development in ways that, you know, work for him that he can use throughout his life. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I like the whole stomping. I should have I should have thought about that when my little ones were little, about toddler age, because that's all right. They need to express that. Like, <laughs> have you noticed at all different cultural, regional differences in how creativity is perceived and nurtured? Right question. Um, I feel like I haven't necessarily noticed that enough to have, you know, a comparison. I know that um, we see dominant cultures, um, some anecdotal evidence about different Enneagram types as different cultures. And so there's sort of some lenses through that you can, you know, with collective shadows. So, you know. Yeah, it just depends. Yeah. Um, yeah, It depends on the person too. (laughs) And it depends on their family experience and, so I think true. there's multiple layers here um, because it's both, I think of it as both an individual trauma or wounding and a collective trauma and wounding because there's that piece of what, how did my caregivers respond when I showed them my creative work? Mm-hmm. And then also how did the world, how does the world I live in that cultural context value creativity and what's their perception of it? Because if, if, creativity is only defined as a piece of art that you can sell for a million dollars and you're not making that or you haven't been found, then it can be hard to think, well, why would I keep making art um, if it's not going to be valued? That's a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Now, can you share the process you take your clients through? Mm. So the first thing we do is figure out their Enneagram type. Um, because that very much sort of guides us as to how to work together, what are the kind of wounds we're looking for, um, and what's what are the patterns that might be keeping your creativity in. And so I'll give you an example of one of my clients who's a type nine. And type nines are the ones we described as looking for harmony. You know, they want to avoid conflict. And so they want to be very calm internally and have a very calm external environment. So they've sort of got this very sort of friendly air. Some people mean um some people think that means they're not hardworking 
Nines are actually very hardworking, but on the one thing that matters to them. Mm. So if creativity matters to them, they're going to forget about it in order to do what the people around them want or need or is important to others in order to keep the peace. And so with um, my nine client, we were identifying that pattern and she does creative, you know, does creative work. And so then what is it that we see happening when she tries to do her own creativity? And nines are body types. Really focus what's happening in your body as you try to do this. Where where are you trying to calm? Where is the anger? Because nines have, uh, they go to sleep to their anger. And so in this sort of using these centers of intelligence and understanding it, um, we started using a screaming practice to try and access and release that anger and to bring more energy back into her body so she had the energy to do her creative work. But you can see how individual that is. And so for a different type, a head type or a heart type, the the body-based screaming practice may not work as well. And so we have to take a different approach. I see. So it depends on the Enneagram uh, number. Now, say there's the two, like for me, it was a number seven and then I'm a number five. Number five, is that is that an investigator? <laughs> investigator the investigator thinker (laughs) yes so those are both head types they're both analytical um but they're taking different approaches to things so we'll just focus on the type seven because that was the one you tested as the highest seven percent yeah yeah and so the seven sevens are generally described as being creative because they break the rules a lot you know they don't want to be trapped or limited in any way and they're always looking for ways to have freedom what sevens don't necessarily realize is the more they try and push to have freedom and what they mean by that is to not make any choices, actually the less choices they they have. So the constant pursuit of freedom means you end up with no freedom. And what they're trying to avoid is pain and suffering and limitations and being trapped in some way. And so it's taking the understanding of that, what they're pushing away from and seeing in what way they're trying to be creative and how is that tying into how they're self-sabotaging that their creative work and what's happening there? Um, and it's really looking at the two together. So the process really for me is where are you at in your creative process? What are you trying to achieve? Um, what's your Enneagram type? Where are you undermining yourself? And finding that sort of sweet spot where we can start to create more space in the personality, in the ego structure. Because we need to confront a little bit, you know, we need to both befriend our ego and confront it to start to create space and break the hold it has on us to some extent. Right. Oh, I love that. I love that. Yes. And you, whatever you said about the seven is correct. Like I like freedom. <laughs> I don't like to be stuck in one thing only. I like trying everything. That's where the creativity side comes out too. <laughs> mm. So also, so I know you have a lot of success stories. I'm sure you do. Is there one particular one that you're just like, oh, wow, this is the one I need to share to everybody <laughs> after they've worked with you? The client I was mentioning earlier about with the screaming practice, for her, she was experiencing, I work with a lot of people with chronic illnesses as well because mm. people don't always realize, and I'm not saying you have chronic illness solely because you're not expressing your creativity. Um, but I find in the healing process, you know, usually being able to, if we don't feel able to express our true self, our authentic 
self in some way, then the body is going to be very stressed and hold on to that contraction in some form. And if that happens for long enough, it generally results into some kind of physical illness um, or, you know, addictive coping mechanism. Our bodies are designed to express themselves um, in a number of ways. Um, so for me, you know, part of my recovery process involved um, intense painting for four years, but it also involved sorting out my digestive system, doing a lot of meditation, meeting with the therapist, do emotional work. So it's, you know, re recovery is a multi-part, multi-system process. But for this particular client, you know, once we started doing the screaming practice, she found that her, you know, unexplained pain would go away. Um, she started to realize how creativity was a spiritual practice and it started to become easier to do. And we set up new beliefs and new systems to make it more just a part of her life um, and create more space for it to happen. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. Now, where can our listeners work with you? Because you are global, so you 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 work with people in the could be in the U.S., could be in different countries, not just Australia. No, I mostly work with people in the U.S. or Europe, actually. So I cover a lot of time zones. Oh, nice! <laughs> How's that working out? Because <laughs> I can't imagine that. <laughs> I guess I, well, yeah. I'm a morning person, so it actually works quite well. <laughs> oh, okay, good, good. I know because some people are not morning people. <laughs> That's right. And you have a YouTube um, page as well. I do. Yes. All the, um, I'm doing all these interviews with people who know their Enneagram type about what creativity means to them because only the four and the seven are generally described as creative. And I was like, well, if everyone's creative, what does creativity look like for the rest of the types? Because if society or even your Enneagram report is saying that you're not creative, then that's not giving you permission to embrace that side of yourself. And so these you know, fascinating conversations with people about creativity have, I've just learned so much for them. They've been completely eye-opening. So they're all on the YouTube channel and um, there's more to come. And yes, or you can find me at my website, individuo.life. Uh, and I've got an Instagram, uh, individuo underscore life. And it's really, you know, people wonder about the name. It's really recognizing that that recovery process is something we walk both alone and together. You know, some of it we have to do by ourselves, but we can never do it completely alone. You know, so it's the, it's the, we heal in relationship with other people as well as healing the relationship we have with ourselves. And so that's sort of where, what the name of the business really means to me anyway. I love that. And I was looking at your website and I love your whole approach to healing on the, the, there's nine principles, right? So yeah. that's, that's nourishing spirit, healing, what's hidden growing discomfort, emotional processing, grieving what's changed, power of permission, changing paradigms, accepting reality, and somatic connection. Ooh, How do, can you talk to me a little bit about more of the somatic connection? Because I've been hearing that of somatic therapy a lot recently. Mm, it's so powerful, somatic connection, partly because we've become very head centered and we've become disconnected from our bodies. And I remember when I worked with my first therapist, it was just realizing how much I was just a head walking around on a meat sack as opposed to, you know, a full human. And so somatic connection is the knowledge and remembering that all the answers are within us and they're contained in our body. And so you could, you could describe the unconscious mind as the body, 
Um, we have brains in our gut and in our heart. There are enough neural pathways and connections to be, you know, functioning brains operating in, in those three centers. And so somatic connection, um, and there are many ways to do it with many different modalities and practitioners, but it's about coming into the body and being able to listen to the sensations, get to know them better, and then listen for what they're saying. What is it your body is trying to tell you that because you haven't been listening, it's coming out in the form of pain or eczema or anxiety or depression or any other sort of illnesses. But, you know, everyone's body has things to tell them regardless of the state of their health. And it's listening. And I find that when I do this process with clients, just the insights that come up are just astounding. Uh, but um, it's easier for certain Enneagram types of clients to access it more readily. For the other types, you know, the, the head types especially, but also the heart types, it takes a lot more effort to learn that the, the, the rest of the body is there and, and to connect into it. But for me, it's remembering you've lived in your body longer than anyone else. No one has lived in your body. You are the expert of you. And so when we are healing, it sometimes seems easier or appropriate to outsource our authority to another expert. And we give all that authority away as opposed to holding on to it ourselves and remembering that our authority is in our body. We may not have studied for the years um, that the people we're consulting have, but they're meant to act as guides, not parental figures telling us what to do. Um, and so to remember that we are the experts of ourselves because no one's lived in our body. No one else. It's just us. It's um, just us. But, yeah. yeah. But we've forgotten or haven't practiced or learned how to access the wisdom contained in our body. Yes, because, you know, when I, so I've suffered from a lot of childhood trauma and I, it was, I went all to my stomach. So we were talking about the stomach and the heart. Mm. Everything was like anxiety there. And then later in life, it went to my chest. I had anxiety here. But when I was young, the, the doctor, we went to a children's hospital and the doctor uh, diagnosed me with IBS. Now, as an adult, thinking back back then, like, I didn't have IBS. I was going, I was going through some other stuff because I, I mean, I'm fine eating anything and nothing, everything works fine. But as I've got, I've gotten older and started paying attention with being sober first, first and foremost in my sober mind, I really start paying attention to my body and it tell it does talk to you. It tells you, mm -hmm. Hey, pay attention. Your, your back is hurting. And then I have to think, well, what was I doing? Okay. Well, then I'll have to stretch out, you know, more breathing, some, do some physical activity that will strengthen those muscles around my back. And the next day I'm feeling much better. It's like, okay. So your body, you're absolutely right. Your body is telling you something. It's there. It's there to guide us and to help us. It really is. Yeah. So much so, um, but I definitely ignored it for a long time. Yeah. So um, you, you had chronic pain and anxiety. I suffered a lot from anxiety too. Uh, how, how did you overcome it? Mm, stubbornly. So I um, had my first real chronic illness in my, in my teen years. Um, but you know, no one really thought of it like that back then. So mm -hmm. it wasn't until I was 27 that I sort of acknowledged that I had chronic eczema and chronic pain. Um, and at the time I was living in London, I was depressed and I had seasonal affective disorder and just all the things, um, mm -hmm. insomnia and, and 
I'd already had, you know, depression and anxiety, although I didn't realize I had anxiety because I was so used to such managing such a high level of stress that being relaxed just feels weird to me. It took me a long time to calm down. So at this point in time at 29, I'm covered in bandages, constant pain from my skin, having these sort of palm sized oozing welts across my arms and legs. Things are bad. Um, and I was still in denial, you know, and until you wake up, until something wakes you up out of that, I can just keep soldiering on with this pain. Um, nothing changes. And the moment that wake up happened for me was I lost the most important thing to me at the time, which was my brain. You know, I kept saying to myself, the only, you know, as long as I have my brain, that's that's all that matters. And I walked into the office one day and I was a lawyer at the time running a case and I looked at my case files and I'd known that just a short while before I could look at the case files and essentially, you know, have that sort of memory recall where I knew where everything was and could access it all very quickly. And that sort of not photographic memory, but in that sort of vicinity. And I looked at these files that day and realized I had absolutely no idea what was in any of them. And now we might call that brain fog. I don't know if that's actually what it is. But that moment is what made me acknowledge it was time to start getting some help. Um, and the the journey to get that help, you know, was times challenging and, you know, you go forwards and backwards in, in your recovery process. But it was yeah. that moment that I finally went, okay, it's, it's time to take this seriously. Right. I, I hear you. It's not a linear process. There's a lot of hiccups. You know, I had many relapses in my drinking, but, you know, as long as you have the end goal and you want to continue bettering yourself and helping yourself, that's, that's what we have to hold on to. Mm, yeah. The hope, the hope that yeah, it'll, the get, hope. it'll get better. Yeah, because for me, I had my body told me, "Hey, you're you're hospitalized now. You, you're done." And that's when the doctor told me, "You you have literally like ten years to live, or you need to stop drinking, or you're just going to die in ten years." Mm -hmm. I'm like, "Oh no, I have children. What am I? Why am I being so selfish?" And so that was a big wake up call. <sighs> wake up, yeah, I had to wake up, and that's what that's yeah. where it led me is to the hospital. But so much happier now, and I'm glad mm -hmm. you are doing what you're doing, and I appreciate that you're helping people. We people need you because they don't. I feel like they don't feel like they're creative, but you know, there's a creator who created us, <laughs> so we need to create here on Earth. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, absolutely. We just we all have something within us that needs to come out in some way. You absolutely. know, and it doesn't really matter if you, whatever it is, we're creating every day. Right. Right. Is there anything else you would love to share? Any last thoughts? I mean, I'm sure we could talk about this for hours, but uh, I don't think there's anything particularly uh, pertinent that's been missed. Only just that, you know, the, the healing journey is a process and, you know, we're always being asked to become more aware of it and to um, be able to heal what is within us. And whether you use the Enneagram or not, um, there are lots of different tools and resources out there to support you on your journey and really just to trust yourself and wherever you're at in the process with, with what's coming to you to use that to help guide your way wherever mm. you're going. 
I love that. Thank you so much, Samantha, for joining me today. It was so nice to meet you. Wonderful to meet you. It's been a To my cherished listeners, from the very depths of my heart, thank you. Every single one of you who've showered me with those warm five-star reviews, your kindness shines so brightly. And if you haven't yet, know that your voice and support always matter. Your unwavering love has lifted us onto Feedspot's esteemed list of best women's sobriety podcasts, and it truly warms my heart. With immense love and care, I've created something for you as well. Introducing the Overcoming Challenges mini course, crafted especially with the intention to guide and support you through life's varied phases, because we all deserve gentle guidance as we navigate life's tides. Furthermore, I have two heartfelt gifts for our listener family. One is a seven-day challenge, a tender beginning for those curious about sobriety, and the other, a personal sharing from my journey, six-step blueprint to an alcohol-free life. This encapsulates the loving steps I took, I embraced beyond AA and the traditional 12 steps that have nurtured my own sobriety journey. To embrace these tokens of gratitude and love, simply text GIFT, that's G-I-F-T, to 1855-649-6196. Again, that's G-I-F-T at 1855-649-6196. With all my love and deepest gratitude, I cherish each and every one of you.